Welcome to Business Unveiled Podcast. This is the place where we help overwhelmed, time-starved entrepreneurs like you make the profitable shifts to get more done and get more out of life. I'm your host, Angela Prophet, award-winning eight-figure entrepreneur and CEO. And in every episode of Business Unveiled, I'm bringing you conversations that will give you the expertise and strategies that will scale your team and business so you can get shit done. That's GSD in our world. So get your time back and grow a business that helps you be present in your life. Let's do this, y'all. Hi, y'all. It's Angela. I'm back for another episode of Business Unveiled. Good evening from Nashville, Tennessee. We are here with Angela Prophet on another edition of Business Unveiled. So, Angela, tell us something about your journey and these podcasts. You're not interviewing me. I'm interviewing you. Since Canal doesn't like to talk about himself. Yeah, it's not my thing. Yeah, it's not his thing. So I will tell you all a little bit about Kanal. He's a destination wedding planner and has been for about a decade. Tell them how you got into the wedding industry. I have no clue, to be honest. I actually stumbled upon it, I feel. But it's been a journey where we've been doing destination weddings around the world and uh, never looked back since then. So yeah, I would say it's one of those things I didn't plan, but now I plan for a living. What's been your most favorite destination so far? Well, one of them has to be Baku, Azerbaijan. Where's uh, that? It's, uh, it's close to Georgia or, or say the Middle East region in general. It's basically... Georgia in the United States? No. <laughs> okay. Let's be clear. We're talking about a different effing country yeah. altogether. Okay. Yeah. Let's just say Azerbaijan is part of Eurasia, where Asia meets uh, uh, Europe in general. So it's like close to Turkey. Okay. In, in the, like, the middle of the world, so to speak. Which we met in Turkey at a conference. Oh, yeah. We that did. I was speaking at. Antalya. Beautiful place and great event. The beach is really pretty. Just if you go in there wintertime, make sure you pre-order your air condition. Because us Americans, we love our air condition. Yeah. So planning destination weddings, let's get a little bit more granular with that because... We know all the templates and all the time that it takes, but just describe like beginning to end on the guest side and then on the couple side, what you all are managing. Well, let's start with the couple side because that's your first interaction and that's how everything starts as a project. So you got to manage and understand what the needs of the client mm -hmm. is. I think that's paramount to understand what the expectations are. The, the overall personalities of the couple is and how you want to depict that in the wedding. So I think to get an, a clear understanding of what they're looking at, what kind of vibe they're looking at, or what kind of wedding is, is very crucial to understand on the basis of which you chart the map out to see how you want to bring it together by bringing in the right partners, looking at the right destinations and then kind of like scouting and taking it step by step to reach the end goal of making sure you execute it to the T as far as what their expectations are. That's the couple part. And from a guest fact perspective, it's like it's like a carnival. Any Indian wedding, so to speak, is like a, a festival. Carnival? It's like a festival. A festival? Yeah, it's like a three, four day night festival gala where it's like back to back, everything's taken care of, you're sponsored. It's 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 quite a celebration and I think it's it's part of the social fabric in India where it's a very cultural thing to have those kind of weddings and growing up we always have that corpus or a fund called a wedding fund from both the families or families in general and it's a it's a big celebration of uh, 
two people, two families, two cultures coming together and having a great union, so to speak. And how many languages do you speak? Four. Learning the fifth, but four typically. Portuguese, nah, a bit of... Uh, Are you of course, learning? I'm still learning that. So there's English, there's Hindi, there's Sanskrit, and there's a bit of Spanish. So I would say I would qualify a little bit of Spanish part. Okay, well, I speak one and I use an app. We live in a world where... Translator app. Translator or Duolingo. Yeah, works either. Which okay, way. but on the guest management side, when you have two to 300 people traveling for a destination wedding, how do you all manage all of the questions? Well, firstly, our group sizes were like 400, 500 pre-COVID. Those are the big fat Indian weddings. And I think during COVID or post-COVID, they've gone on a diet. So we call them the skinny weddings or the weddings on a diet, so to speak. But two, 300 people. Um, I've never heard that. Two, 300 people. Well, we just, uh, Indians in general are very demanding, are very, very spoiled when it comes to hospitality and the kind of uh, cultures we have in general or grown up to. So from that perspective, we, we try to foresee, and again, post-COVID, we understood there are these new restrictions, there's COVID testing, there's entry regulations. So we try to anticipate and Visas. make sure that we get everything covered. And before they even ask, we just throw it out there in terms of a website or the messages or a simple uh, FAQ section, which gives them everything that they need to know before planning for the wedding to be part of it. So you're from India, but you don't do weddings in India. <laughs> Why? Well, we started our journey in India, soon realized that India as a market is very saturated. There are very few limited like cities or destinations which really work in the kind of clientele we handle. So we positioned ourselves to do more destination weddings across the world and that's how we opened up an office in Azerbaijan after a few weddings there. Uh, we have now US where our co-founder, my sister-in-law is, and now we've opened up an office in Portugal which is our first EU base. Um, and we like curating or doing destination weddings because it gives us the, uh, the opportunity to open up new countries and uh, create new experiences for our clients and couples. So from that perspective, we love the challenge of doing something different at every wedding. And again, that, that speaks of how we want to position ourselves and not do much work or any work in India, so to speak. So you've been to the U.S. before, but you've never been to Nashville. And you've been interning and observing. <laughs> what is like the number one thing in observing like some of our meetings and Zooms where you're like, oh my gosh, it is so different from like Europe or like Nashville. Other than like people hire us a year in advance and like their weddings are like, Three, three months. I mean, we've planned weddings and events in two weeks. We don't advise it. I don't know if I would ever do that again. But I know that that was like a shock factor. But what, what's like the number one thing where you're like, this is so different? Well, I think each couple and uh, families are different in many regards. But the approach, I think, is very different when it comes to a country specific or the American planners versus European or, say, the Asian planners. From that perspective, you're right. One of them is a process-oriented. Uh, a little more time bound here, I would say, where things start one year in advance as compared to the turnaround time that we generally look at is around five to six months for a destination wedding predominantly. Um, and we see that decreasing more and more with these changing dynamic times. Uh, but having said that, I think it's been a great experience to see uh, the difference approach of how, uh, what methodology you follow and the kind of tools you have uh, and how you guide the 
clients into that perspective. So it's a very different learning, uh, very different to what we do, uh, where it's very like um, just just doing what the client wants and understanding and giving them options and variety. Whereas here, I think it's more rigid in saying this is what is possible. That's that's about it. There is no way around it. Um, and, and I think it's just an approach and the mentality and every client or every um, region in general looks at it differently. What's so different and unique about your company? Well, we look for uncharted destinations or unique destinations, which uh, really motivates us to defy the odds, go to a new country, uh, understand the ecosystem and bring together an experiential wedding for our couples and clients. So I'll break it down for you on a fourth grade level. What that really means is they go to like BFE where there's never been a wedding or there's never been an Indian wedding and they completely create the system within a city or a country, which is not easy. Working on private islands, people are like, can I crawl into your suitcase? And it's not that easy. You are so limited to the resources and you're like learning all these new things. And while destination weddings are fun, they there's can... nothing there's nothing fun about it for the guest. And the guest, of course, but yeah, it depends on what perspective you're looking at. Okay, so why are you, why are, why do you stay in wedding wedding planning? I think it's the passion or the 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 fun or the the realization or the rewarding feeling when everything goes or comes together and you have a couple which looks at you and says thank you for everything. I think that's the reward which we look forward to as planners. So it means he's blue, a little blue. Tell him about true colors. I what have your colors are. <laughs> and what has been your experience with the methodology? Well, it's been a very, very interesting <clears throat> realization. I'm a orange 23 followed by, I think, a blue and then green and then gold. Mm -hmm. So it's it's been a very... Uh, uh, new experience to understand this new concept of true colors. It's like just trying to implement that into everyday life and see how it pans out. So it's interesting. If you could go back and tell, like, to your very first destination wedding and tell your younger self something. Yeah. What would you tell yourself? Learn to say no. Oh, that's an excellent one. Good job. Thanks. Good job. <laughs> we learn it very late in life, but nevertheless, it's a lesson. The sooner you learn it, the better it is for you. Well, want to say yes and we want to make people happy but at what cost can't, right you yeah. can't make everybody happy and some people are so insatiable it's impossible to make everyone happy true but yeah just say no in a really nice way yep no means no not right now no means no not right now that's really what that means what is the biggest opportunity that you've learned about yourself like the biggest aha moment? Like have you had any of those moments? Well, yes, of course. There are many aha moments and that's how life should be. There should be these constant reminders and aha moments to make yourself believe that you're living a normal life and not a perfect life. What's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you? Wow. Well, one is, of course, uh, that's a tricky one. I get this question all the time. It was September 11th on a Friday and it was a Christian singer who was getting married and the bride and groom were like the sweetest, most Christian, amazing couple. The family, like I just loved them. And she had recently gone to, to Bali and um, for like a summer camp to help deaf kids learn how to sing. And she came back and wanted to do this whole Bali-inspired wedding. And she wanted to do it on September 11th, mainly because of her tour schedule. 
But that's it was shortly after 9-11, and so many people were like, like our vendors are like, why would she choose that day? And she's like, because I want, I want people to think happy things too. Like something bad happens every day of our life, but you have to think of the good things, not always the bad things. And we learn and grow from them. We had a backup rain plan because it was half indoor, half outdoor, and it had never rained at a wedding in 12 years of all the outdoor weddings that I ever did in my whole career. It never rained. But on this Friday, September 11th, there was a zero chance rain, zero. On Friday at 6.02 p.m., the sky opened up right when I went to send my bride down the aisle. And oh my God, I was so upset. And she just looked at me and I like put her back in the bride's room. And I'm like, it's, it's okay. It was almost like she was consoling me because I couldn't like keep it together. And then I look outside and my girls are radioing me and they're like, Ange, it's raining. I'm like, no shit. Like, and it wasn't just raining a little bit. It was like coming down. So people stood up, put their chair over their head, like it's an umbrella and all the musicians. And there were a lot of music instruments out there because she is in music. And so they're all like packing up and scurrying. And I tell the girls to move everybody under the tent. I'm like, get everybody under the tent. They can get married under the tent while everybody's sitting at their table. Thank God we had a seating chart. Anyway, fast forward. It was a fiasco, but it, it worked out. And then at the toast, her dad stood up and was like, he's been singing from stage like all of her life, the word of God. Again, they're very Christian. And he's like, the rain to us is the most beautiful thing because it's God's tears for blessing their marriage. There's a reason for everything. Like I was so upset, like what could I have done to prevent it? And we're so hard on ourselves. Like it's not your fault if it rains. Like it's, it's all in how you react and how you're professional and you communicate with everybody, which thank God we have radios. And you tell all of your vendors like, hey, this is what's happening. Like move up appetizers, get the, you know, again, it's all on how you handle it, but the moral to the story is like, it's the most memorable thing for me to remember. Like, it's not about you and you're not in control. And sometimes that was a really good thing for the family and everyone got it. Okay. Why is it so important for a wedding planner, a destination wedding planner to go to the venue or to the island or to the city or to the country prior to before really committing to a job, it, it, it's not like we want to go take a free vacation, y'all. Okay, this is not a vacation, but why is it so important? Well, it's like till the time you're not convinced of the destination or the people or the hotel or the venue, it's, it's difficult to sell it across the table. So as planners, I think we set ourselves a standard, a, a benchmark to how and what kind of weddings do we want to deliver, what kind of partners we want to work with. So till the time we understand it on ground, understand the ecosystem, understand, okay, who are the people and the partners we can rely on? Uh, what are the infrastructure? What are the hospitality like? Can we get Indian food? Can we get a tandoor? Um, small things which really make a lot of difference in the end goal and the end result of a wedding, which a client may not anticipate, but as wedding planners, that's a responsibility to anticipate um, how the destination or the venue would pan out. So hence, it's very important to do the due diligence at every venue and every destination that you possibly can because once you believe in it as a destination, you carry that conviction on the table to bring that value to say, I can do it and I've seen it and I've been there, uh, which is an extra USP which always helps to build that confidence in a client who's never been to that country for that instance. And the other option is creating a relationship with a local planner that is that knows what they're doing, that has experience 
there and do a collaboration, which happens often, right? Exactly. I, I think we live in a day and age where we as planners definitely believe in knowledge sharing and collaboration. I think that's the bigger goal. I think gone are the days where people can be working uh, as individual units. The bigger goal is to synergize and put in our efforts together and collaboratively. Um, and very few people believe in it. Um, but I think it's a bigger picture and it takes us longer and is better or a bigger goal at that achievement. <laughs> if we planned a wedding together, it would rock y'all's world. In terms of like, I remember when I planned one in New York with this designer and he's like, wait, we have to schedule a phone call? What, what do you mean you don't answer your phone? And what do you mean you live in Nashville and we're going to do this destination thing through this thing called Dropbox and Google Drive? And I'm like, yeah, I'll teach you how to use it. But like you, I know you guys primarily operate at a Google Drive. Why is it so important to do that? Well, I think it's, it's just a process-oriented approach we have. And I think we live in a day and age where technology really facilitates us in using a lot of tools to simplify the back and forth with the client. And I think having one file and letting everybody have live access to it and it cannot get deleted or it cannot get messed up because it's a, it's a proper system and you can review and you can... Uh, you can you can never uh, or you can restore it to the previous version for that matter. I just feel it gives us more confidence to be more productive. I think the point is being productive of not repeating those same mistakes or those things where we can be more efficient to the man hours that go in. Because at the end of the day, we are not uh, selling a product. We are selling a service which requires uh, man hours and efficiency and hence it just makes it better. So in the U.S., we would say it's not a service, it's a product because it's just the education and, and what um, uh, people don't value. It's value. Ever since Pinterest came out, it's valued so much more. But it's like if you drive a Porsche or a BMW or a Lamborghini and you go to the dealership and you get your brakes serviced or something done at the dealership and if it's out of warranty you're going to see on your bill the brakes the screws the service the labor the tax like all these things and you don't question it you want to drive off the lot so you drive off the lot or if you go to like the best hamburger place in town you pay for that and and you don't say oh they don't charge you a dollar for mayonnaise a dollar for ketchup a dollar for mustard a dollar for tomato and onions and lettuce and pickles and it doesn't work like that but in wedding planning and within the events industry people think they can come in and pick and choose like yes I want this no I don't it doesn't work like that especially with experienced planners who are well traveled and so have y'all always been full service or it's something that you gradually worked into no, I think since the inception, we were a full service, a one-stop shop. I think that made it easier for us to understand from the start go what the expectations and how we want to drive the project or the client and understand how we want to curate an experience. Uh, it's, we live in a day and age where we've been to the best of weddings, best of venues, best of destinations, best uh, decor. But what separates one wedding from another is the, the hospitality or the experience that we're able to uh, cultivate or curate for those couples. Uh, just thinking out of the box solutions or doing something different and, and then um, it, it's very seldom we get that opportunity with couples who empower us to say you know what we believe in you give us uh, the the works and here's a free hand to do so so I think those are the kind of clients that motivate us to go that extra 10% more than the 100% and uh, we live for those kind of days to say you know what you believed in us and here is what we deliver 
an exceptional wedding which goes goes as a memory not just for the couple but for each and every guest and they go and talk about it all right let's time do this. is really precious time is money girl yeah time is money um when you're in the hustle of it but as you get older and more experienced or if something uh, unexpected comes up in your life you realize that time is precious and no matter how much money you have or how much you work you, you can always make more money but you can't buy your time back like that you can buy a lot of things but not your time for everything else there's mastercard as a business owner what do you do to make sure that you're staying present when you're saying yes to something well the first and foremost is listen listen to the client listen to your partners listen to people around you uh, i think we live in a day and age and somebody brought this up beautifully we live in a day and age where everybody lives or talks about success uh, everybody's fixated with success the true stories and how good life is but uh, very few people talk about failures the actual learnings where uh, i think it's the failures that teach us the most and i think it's uh, it's important to take a chin up and say you know what every day is a learning process at the end of the day we are all uh, humans we are not perfect and i think uh, the goal at the end of the day should be to learn and adapt and be a better person every day and i think that's easier said than done um but i think that makes sense to at least the ethos that we follow as a company and myself where uh we we definitely try to listen to the needs understand them and and embrace the knowledge and the tools that we have in today's day and age to adapt to being a better person or a better company it's important to accept that there is a problem maybe uh and how you can make it better it could be a client it could be something you learn and adapt constantly but focus at the end of the day it comes from listening so i think that's that's what we or our approaches in today's time now what inspires you to keep going every day happiness positivity happy people happy vibes um that's in, that's what inspires us in every realm of it it's not always like that in weddings uh there are the hiccups there are the bumps there are the good times there are the bad times at the end of the day you as a planner has it's and uh, in, in a comical way i'll call it a circus uh it's a it's a big circus as a wedding and you are a ring master as a planner to make sure that you bring together all these elements together and uh, sometimes somebody may not show up something some things may go wrong but at the end of the day you still have to put a happy face make sure everything comes together and just problem solve yeah it's like the greatest showman beautiful movie who i thought was a magician but then my team reminded me that he was um Hugh Jackman a ringleader of ringleader. a circus he wasn't a magician that's okay. a different job All title right. but yeah I watch just, the movie if you have oh it oh my god it's my favorite movie you're going to thank love, us you're going to email us and say what a movie love the soundtrack like i listen to it at least twice a day usually you're obsessed then yeah i love it I thought I was going to die from covid like legit die. I watched it over and over and over. Shh, and we don't over. mention that c word on the show. Okay, well just a few minutes ago how he was saying we don't talk about our failures enough and we don't talk about the bad shit. If you've li- been listening or watching this podcast for a while, you know that that's what we talk about, the real shit, not the not the surface shit. What have you learned since you've been here in Nashville? Yeah, he learned the word y'all in Nashville this past week. It was fun, y'all. Are y'all having a good time? What y'all. does bless your heart mean? May the force be with you. <laughs> what does bless your heart mean? Do you know what that means? It means all the best. May the force be with you. Um. Or sarcasm. Okay. 
most memorable like takeaway? Hero on a mission. That's been a takeaway, yeah. It's by Donald Miller. He lives in Nashville, an EO entrepreneur organization. He recently came out with a new book. I love his first book. Y'all know I'm not a good reader, but I get everything on Audible. And I've already listened to it, and I sent it to you how long ago? A while ago. A while ago. Months, more than six months ago. And you're just now able to really... Absorb it. Yeah, yeah absorb it. And yeah. like, And I get it, right? It's like... It's timing. It's everything is, it is. It's timing. It, you, when, you have to be ready and you have to accept it. You have to tell yourself and you have to say that there's a problem. If you believe that you are perfect and everything is good, you don't need this, it's totally fine. Uh, and, and that's it's not fine. You're never going to grow. True. But then that's, that's your or each, everybody's perspective of how they want to handle their growth or they want to settle or not settle. And I think many a times... Uh, we were in a constant stage of being a victim and how we should turn into a hero and how we can turn towards having an objective and a meaning to life. And it's interesting how psychology comes to it. And there's a guy called Viktor Frankl who, mm-hmm. who came up with this theory about uh, meaning in general. And it's, it's fascinating because you're so used to Freud and other famous psychologists who came up with these theories. And it's, it makes sense. It adds up and it's a science at the end of the day. It's, the more and more you embrace it uh, and, and make sense of it and try to use it on day-to-day life, I think that's the true actioning part of it. One thing is we hear, uh, but to listen is another thing. Everybody can hear, but to listen is another art. Yeah, and he just kept saying, like, I need to make it until this date, this date, which I totally understood. because it, And I, I didn't think that it was, like, disrespectful or anything. It's just like, hey, here's something when you can get to it. And I just kept sending things and sending things. And then I'm like, okay, I overwhelm people with stuff. I'm well aware of it, that I just vomit information. And then people do nothing because they're so overwhelmed. So true. But then this day comes, and then it's always something else. So what I would say is, like, if you really want to get into something and you really want to make change, that if someone shares a tool with you, put it on your calendar. Even if it's in six months, you have to remind yourself if you want a different outcome, you have to do something different, right? Amen to that. What's your number one time suck? Social media. What are you doing about it to not be such a time suck? To not let it affect so much and not pay too much attention to it, to focus on what you need to do as an individual. I think I love the fact going back to writing stuff, not even emailing or texting or anything. Just take notes on a pen and paper to reinforce something which worked in old school theory. Small things which go a long way, but I think our dependence in technology for the good or for the bad is is something debatable, but uh, trying to spend as much as time away and trying to be more present with the people and the situation. Do you set timers or restrictions on any of your social media apps? No, but you keep a check on the screen time and you follow a trend to say that are you improving or progressing or it's getting worse. So my thing is, like, I know it's, it's, it's fun. At least I look for the fun things. That's why I love reels and TikTok because I'm, like, looking for the dances. But my rule is that if you're going to spend an hour a day scrolling and consuming content, you have to double it on the other side to create the content because you have creators and you have consumers, people consuming the content and then people creating the content and putting consistent content out there. And so if I'm going to scroll for an hour, that means I'm going to create content for at least two hours. Like we're just doing right now. Yeah, I mean, we're, this is creating content right now. I won't even tell you how long it took us to sit down and how many takes we actually <laughs> took to, to get started. 
Um, you'll have to see the bloopers video for that. How do you manage your time? You live out of a suitcase. Like we both really live out of a suitcase. And so everyone listening and watching, I know like we time block and I'm like super anal about it. It's the only way we GSD and get shit done. Otherwise I'm like, I don't even know where to start because there's so many things I could be doing. So what do you do? How do you manage your time in all these different time zones? I think one is the recent incul like the mm. uh, introduction into calendars and how we need to kind of like put everything up there and kind of like time block stuff. Something which uh, uh, is, is, is great to become more productive and understand what and how you want to prioritize your time and um, segment them into buckets, whether it be personal, whether it be work or whether it be people in general. So yeah, I think that's the start where it's becoming more organized. Which is exactly what I spoke about in Turkey when I first met you, is like the buckets and just breaking it down into personal time, which is you time. It doesn't matter if you have kids, if you're married, whatever. You still need you time, which is like the gym time, workout time. If you love to get your nails done, if you love to go to the spa, like, and you shouldn't feel bad doing those things. We need to wind down every business owner, every person who works hard needs to like wind down. And if you don't have anything that you love, that's like the first wake up call of finding something that you do love because you can't just always work. Even if you love it and it doesn't feel like work, you've got to do something outside of work. And yes, I'm saying that you guys are hearing me. Now, what do I do for fun? I hang out at the Apple store <laughs> for new things. Or do a lot of TikTok. Yeah, or, but that's fun, right? And like, but it serves many goals. It serves purposes because I want to get so many steps in per day. But do things that help you achieve your goals. And so it's like if you want to get 10,000 steps a day, dancing and creating content is like three big whammies in one. Yeah, that's perspective, each to its own. Do whatever makes you happy. At the end of the day, my mantra is do whatever makes you happy. Be happy about it. Just just enjoy it. And I think that's that's a smaller step which goes along with the scheme of things. So what's the most common myth that you hear people say about our industry that just you cringe every time you hear it? That we have a lot of fun when we organize these great, lavish celebrations or around the world and where we behind the scenes uh, working our ass off to understand the destination, do a scout or a recce trip. People just feel it's all hunky-dory and it's all fun and uh, flair happening but little do they know the kind of stress and the, you know we're handling emotions. It's not just any business. You're handling emotions of the people and not just one but 400 or 300 people. So you are carrying a lot of responsibility and it is the most stressful job in the world for a reason. Right after the three main services of army, Air Force and firemen, wedding planning is the fourth most stressful job in the reason and there's a very big reason for it, which people do not uh, acknowledge, I would say. No. So uh, we, we love it. Uh, we, we, we are uh, troubleshooters. We could be a like a disaster management company, in, so to speak, and take care of an entire country or a city if shit went down. But yeah, we, we like to raise our hand up and say, hey, we got this. We'll, we'll run the ship from here. Like it is very rewarding at yeah, the end yeah. of it. So is the circus master rewarding. Yeah, but an emotion. So we're learning about the emotion color wheel for surface level and how to go beneath the surface. Like what's one emotion that you feel that you spark every time like you rap? You know, it's like one in the morning, two in the morning, three, whenever you're done and everybody's gone and, and everything's torn down. I mean, are you all the first in and the first out or the first in the last out? <laughs> Never the first out for sure. 
I don't know what kind of business or weddings these guys do, so please be very careful. I'm the dumbass. Yeah, but last man or women standing for sure. You do it to please others, and that's what we do. As and fans. that's what brings you happiness. It does. Oh, not me. Fuck that. Because <laughs> you could not make everybody happy, and if you try to make everybody happy, and no, there's just no way. It's not real life. It's not real life, but there are there is optimism and there's hope, and then that's the faith that keeps us going. At the end of the day, we all can live by hope and make sure that whatever we do keeps everybody happy. But it's like politics it never works. So the word hope is not actionable. So if you sit around hoping, that means nothing is ever going to happen. You actually you actually have to be actionable to True. to GSD. True. But when you can't action. There is hope. To action. It's like you're stuck in an elevator. You can't action, but there's hope that somebody would come and rescue you to get your shit done and get you going. Sometimes we are hopeless. It's like a tornado outside in Nashville, and you can't do anything despite the fact you want to go help others out. So you can be actionless, but there is always hope, and that hope has to be within you. Otherwise, if you're hopeless and you're like just in despair, it's a different ball game. You go to a lot of conferences, mm -hmm. and you're involved in a lot of networking groups. What are the pros and cons to joining some of these groups and these masterminds? We believe your vibe attracts your tribe, and and for that very reason, uh, meeting the right people and exchanging ideas with them, learning from their stories, their failures, is the best investment you can put into yourself in the wedding sphere. Um, I, I think we all, um, or this ecosystem is very, very uh, 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 diverse and huge. The network of the hoteliers, the destinations, the DMCs, the vendors, uh, wedding planners, etc. Uh, it's just all of us who know and could read a lot of people. We read, we read into people. We love to observe people. We need to understand, okay, who's a surface level person and who's actually going to bring business. Uh, so from that perspective, these network or these platforms. They, they give us that opportunity to create those opportunities in business. I think it's just about sharing knowledge, collaborating and saying, okay, I need you ever, I'll give you a call and let's make it happen. And I think those are the kind of facilitations which are needed in today's day and age where every minute matters and the client is very, uh, has, is spoiled by choice. There's so much choice out there, it's throat competition. So from that perspective, to know the right people at the right places gives you an edge for sure. And it's how you curate and it speaks highly of what the kind of ethos or professionalism you bring to the table by telling them exactly what your expectations are, how you want it and how you both can work together as a team to create and generate a sustainable long-term business plan. Who is Kanal outside of work? Wow. Well, it's lately it's just been work, all play. No play, sorry. <laughs> Hardly any play. Is uh, that healthy? No, not really, but I think there comes a Eureka moment where you realize, and I think that's the phase I'm going through, where the focus is just about realizing who Kunal truly was uh, on, on the, besides the wedding planning. So it's just that rediscovery plan where I used to love trekking, hiking, cycling, uh, being very active on, and being outdoor totally. So I think it's just rediscovering that phase and finding that spark within to say, wait a minute. Did we really overcome it to work and our clients and our couples that now we need to reinvent the wheel and go back to finding who Kunal is? So I think it's that phase or that shift in, in, in our priorities, which is where I would say I'm at. What was your first strategy 
session when you got here? So I think the first exercise was this true color exercise with this company and its uh, colleagues uh, and, and team members, which was just to understand the dynamics of why uh, some people are struggling with deadlines versus some people are, uh, are probably losing interest and how to kind of like understand how the, the, the chain or the entire team is looking like to fix in and have the leader take charge and say, okay, there is an issue. We need to talk to these people and understand what their true attractions or incentives are and address the concerns based on the colors, which is diverse and dynamic. But what caused you from going from having like work-life balance, which is possible, to just back into completely work and then how are, how are you getting a handle on it? Like when did you know like, okay, this is out of hand, I'm only working constantly, I need to get back to the balance? I think when you travel and the kind of travel that I was, I was clocking in the last two years, which was a lot of travel, I think living over suitcase in a literal sense, I think you lose that momentum and the routine. And, and then when work takes over and it's busy, a lot of postponements, a lot of stress, COVID, it all hit us and made us realize that we need to be more hands-on. Hence, I think somewhere uh, that slip happened uh, where you cross over and you're like, okay, this is all about work. This is the phase where it's all about work, positioning, Portugal office, etc., and so on. So somewhere there was a collateral damage, something I had to give. And that was personal health priorities in general. Now, the realization at least has kicked in. So I'm lucky in that sense that... Uh, there needs to be corrective measure now before it's too late and hence we are very very particular about the kind of projects we're picking up what kind of clients we're working with and trying to be very very or personally being very careful about how we want to prioritize the team and its investment and its personal goals and the work-life balance when do you get your best work done when i am really interested and when i'm really focused but like, is it in the morning? Is it at night? Like no, that doesn't matter. As a planner, it doesn't matter. It's just about that timing or that mode where you switch in and you're like, okay, now it's, you know, it's just that one of those feelings It's like the movie Limitless with just like uh, uh, Bradley Cooper. Um, yeah, I love that movie. It's just that suddenly there comes this rush or this adrenaline and okay, you know what? Let's do this right now. And then you start working and one thing leads. It's like a domino effect because a planner is overlooking a lot of things. It's not just one key objective. So from that perspective, we look at a bigger picture. Uh, we are not very narrow in our approach towards a wedding in general. I'm a night owl. I don't work well in the morning. Like I don't want to get up and work early in the morning. Like I'm most creative. And when everybody else is sleeping, I'm just getting started at 10 p.m. It's like my party in my head starts. Like that that's when the thing. treadmill starts. Yeah, the treadmill actually goes all day, every day when I'm actually in Nashville. Uh, I live in different time zones, literally, and the teams are spread out. So yeah. from that perspective, for me, like I said, for me, it's not a specific time or a morning or a night. It's just about getting hold of that task at that hand based on the client or the team requirement. So it's very subjective, I would say. I, I don't think I would have a preference to it, but it's just about when my mind gets going, then there's no stopping it. The last question is... Concluding note, yeah. If anyone wants to expand their business into destination planning or in Portugal, mm -hmm. which is where you all are specifically focused on right now, sure. how would people connect with you? What's your favorite platform? Just email us or call us He's or so WhatsApp us. Anything you need to know about Portugal, we'll tell you all about it. We don't believe in secrets. We'll tell you everything that is need to be told about Portugal.
We love the country. We believe in it. So no one uses WhatsApp in the USA. <laughs> so you guys live differently from the rest of the world. It's so different, y'all. Like it's so different. Like the degrees of Celsius and Fahrenheit, the metric system of pounds and kilograms, miles to how many miles I'm going, to how many meters I'm walking. The current. It's not. It's the currency. It's like so many things that I'm like. I just have to Google and learn. I learn stuff all day, every day. When yeah, I'm one of those podcasts would be about these things. <laughs> oh, anyways, uh, it's a pleasure, Angela Prophet. Thank you so much for your time. What's your one word closing as you close your internship? One word. One word. Meaning. Think about it. That's it for this week's episode of Business Unveiled. Now that you have all the tools that you need to conquer the world and GSD, get shit done. Would you share this with your friends and fellow business leaders? One thing that would really, really help us and help new listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a comment in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in and listen to Business Unveiled. You can check out the show notes at angelaprofit.com slash podcast and link up with us on social media so you can share your biggest insights and I want to know your aha moments. Until next week, remember the profitable shifts and structures you're creating in your business help you be more present in your life. So get out there and GSD.